Welcome to Noahala, the podcast, highlighting the voices, experiences, and reflections of African diasporans reconnecting to Africa. I am Gaima, and it's my intention to bridge the gap between the African and the African diasporan through the story shared by my guests and myself. We could learn a lot together. It's time to level up. It's no wahala. It's time for African coffee. Welcome. I am Gaima. And I want to talk about something that needs to be discussed. As I've been traveling and I make time to call back home to check on family and friends, my friends are asking the infamous question, do you really feel welcome in Africa? So let's get into it. My first answer is, I don't know, because Africa is not a country. However, I've been in a few countries thus far and I want to focus on Tanzania. So my answer to them is Karibu Sana, which means you are very welcome in Swahili. Swahili is the language prominently spoken here in Tanzania. And wherever you will go, you visit someone in their home, you visit them um, at their workplace, you go to the store, you walk into a restaurant, um, it doesn't really matter where you are, you will hear Karibu, Karibu sana, Kariboni, all types of variations of welcome. It is consistent, it doesn't matter if you are in the village where the roads are beautiful red clay or you are in the busy streets of Dar es Salaam, one of the largest, most populated cities here in Tanzania. Karibu is what you will hear. You are welcome. Um, When I first arrived, I was like, how come they're saying you're welcome before I say thank you? Because I'm so used to thanking people and then receiving you're welcome. But they truly greet you by welcoming you into their space. And once I got used to it, um, you know, took a few weeks, but I was like, wow, like this is literally their culture. Their culture is to welcome you into their space, no matter where it is. And that's a beautiful thing. So um, discussing various topics um, as someone who to them, I'm a foreigner. Uh, The word for foreigner is mzungu. Um, And I'm a foreigner because I'm not from here. Um, My skin tone is very similar to many people here. So at first glance, they don't necessarily have a reason to believe that I am a foreigner. But once they get up close, they see my facial structure or they see the clothes that I'm wearing. And then, of course, when I start to speak, they know that I'm indeed not I'm I'm not from here. but 
yet and still, they're curious. They want to know where I'm from. They're very open um, as far as body language with smiling, even if they cannot speak English, um, which the word for English in the Swahili is Kingaresa. Um, so you'll, you'll hear um, Kingaresa, you know, and then they'll start to speak English. Sometimes their English is extremely well, sometimes it's choppy, um, but they at least try. And when you, when you think about the shoe being on the other foot, when someone who is from a different country interacts with someone who is born and raised in the U.S., how often do you hear someone from the U.S. attempt to speak that person's language in order to make them feel more comfortable? Just think about it. How often do you meet somebody who is from a different country um, that's visiting the U.S. and once they say where they're from, you can start to pick up a few words and speak it to them in order to make them feel just a little bit more at ease. Yeah, very unlikely. So just hats off to people from around the world, these different countries who still, you know, see English as a priority and will use it to try to make you feel comfortable. I have visited Paris and while there are a lot of people in France that speak English, they stereotyping, I hate to do that, but generally speaking, they will not speak English to you. They expect you to speak French because they believe that their language is better and if you're in their country you should know how to speak their language. Personal experience and it's an experience that is shared by many people that I know that have visited France. So just to give you perspective. Um, eating. Eating in Tanzania is an amazing experience because a lot of the food is organic um, and it's not like they're trying it just is that is their way of living doesn't mean every single thing that you eat will be organic but that's literally your choice but the default way of eating is to consume food that is fresh that has only been processed once um, once you get into two and three steps of processing typically that food is unavailable it's not easily easy to find um, it may only be available at like the big grocery stores but the marketplaces you're going to find fresh foods and that's how most people shop the price comparison i'll give you an example so the dollar for every dollar that equals approximately 2,300 Tanzanian shillings. So if you were to go to um, your farmer's market in the US or even like a Trader Joe's and um, you wanna buy one mango, that's anywhere um, on average about $3. Um, it could be a little bit cheaper if there's a sale or if there's an abundant amount and they need to move uh, inventory. But on average, a mango is about $3. Whereas um, in Tanzania, um, uh, organic fresh mango is 
the equivalent of 66 cents. So less than a dollar. So 1,500 Tanzanian shillings is equivalent to 6,700 um, as far as how much you would spend in the US. So just to reiterate, $3 mango in the US, the same mango is 66 cents in Tanzania. That is how your dollar stretches and you will eat well. Um, a lot of the food, um, people can go into their backyards and a good majority of what you're gonna eat is coming from their own personal gardens and farms. Um, even in the city, um, they have, I think at least 20 different species of banana here in Tanzania. And one of those in particular, um, is used to cook one of their staple foods called matoke, which is a banana bean based dish. And whether you're in the city of Dar es Salaam or you're in the village of Bukoba, this banana can be found almost anywhere growing and um, people easily can eat off the land. So, you know, I do know somewhere in Africa, they say, you know, people are starving. I have not met them and they're nowhere near where I have been. Um, I've been eating, I've, I've been fed so much that there are times that I have to like take a break and fast because it's overwhelming the amount of food that is available and all they want you to do is just eat and be comfortable. So I'm very grateful um, for the hospitality received. Um, but you could, you could actually gain some weight here um, if you aren't careful because the food is abundant. The fish is everything. It's fresh. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, a lot of times, you know, the biggest question that African-American black people ask is how welcome will I be? Um, and so over the course of a month or so that I've been here, I've had a lot of different conversations. Um, my conversations have been with students who are in high school, um, teachers who teach um, in middle, what's equivalent to middle slash high schoolers, um, I've had conversations with uncles, you know, people who are well into their 60s. I've had conversations with, you know, aunties um, who are in that same age bracket. And one of the, the things that I've noticed is just how unaware the people here are of what's happening to black people in America. They hear bits and pieces but they don't really know the full story or they don't know to full extent what's really going on. They're not really aware of the current oppression that black people are fighting in America. And more important than anything, they're interested. They wanna understand, they wanna know, they wanna be more aware. Um, they wanna have a, a higher level of understanding. Um, there definitely are some who, because they have traveled um, maybe to the U.S., 
you know, maybe in Europe and they've um, maybe went to school with people from the United States that are black, you know, they've had some interactions. Um, there are, there is a growing population of African Americans that are traveling and coming into Africa to see for themselves what it's like and so they've been able to have interactions with them from that perspective and um, they've interacted with African Americans who have come to live um, briefly whether it's to teach or if they have a, a job that requires them to be here for a specific time frame um, so the conversations are happening but there's definitely an opportunity for more dialogue to occur what I have learned is that a lot of what they see and understand about African Americans rests solely in music and what they see with music videos um, and what they hear with the lyrics. And it's interesting because from their consumption of African American music, the one thing that stands out to them is the word nigga. And so when they meet you as an African-American and, you know, you clarify, you know, yes, I'm from the States, so on and so forth, the, the students will ask, oh, so you're a nigga. And it is weird. It is a weird question to have to answer because me personally, I don't really identify as being a nigga. Um, it is a term that it is used in my vocabulary with certain people in my life, but it's not a term that I use or that I see myself as. And so when someone's asking me if I'm a nigga, my first knee jerk reaction is no, I'm a black woman. I'm an African American woman. I'm an African woman. I'm not a nigga, but they are coming from a perspective of what what they hear is what they're processing and they're just trying to apply it so i have taken the time in these conversations to explain to them why that term is not necessarily a comfortable term that they should lead with when they meet an african-american person because of the history of where that word actually comes from it's derived from the word nigger and the history behind nigger, it's so strong, it's so powerful, it's so impactful, and it's so relevant still in, you know, the world that we live today that unless you are an African-American in conversation with an African-American using the word nigger, anyone else, when they use it, it just seems strange. But what I don't think African-American black people know is how that word is interpreted through music by somebody who resides in a different country on a different continent that doesn't understand American history. And in particular, what black people have dealt with in the United States. I'm not saying that the word is a bad word, nigga, but I'm saying that people need to become more aware of how that word is consumed because ultimately it gets awkward 
And what's always even more strange is when you hear an African and an African speaking to each other and you know they're just trying to identify and I guess be hip and be cool because yes the the music culture that comes from African Americans is so profound it affects and moves everybody across the world and people love it and they want to embrace it um, and so even amongst themselves they'll say they'll reference themselves as niggers but it's so weird because it's like you're not you've you don't that's not your history even though you are black you're a black African a black African and a black African American are not the same in that way you don't have the same history your history as an African a black African in Africa the space is colonization it's not slavery and so your history is different and there's no word that I think is equivalent to nigger that exists in African colonial history. Um, if there is one, I don't know about it and I'm open to learning. So it, it, it's a conversation that when it's had, the people that I've had it with here in Tanzania are more aware they're appreciative of the knowledge, especially, you know, the teachers, because they want to be able to reduce ignorance with their students. And if they don't know, they don't know what to tell their students. But by them knowing, they now can give their students more background. They can go, you know, uh, explore history, look at more books, possibly consume these books, and have a better understanding of African American history. But um, the good thing is they're willing to listen and they're willing to do so from a space of, you know, open, open hearts and, and understanding as opposed to being judgmental. You know, having that conversation with an uncle, it was a little difficult because, you know, older people are set in their ways and, you know, they want to believe what they've believed. But when you break things down to them and explain to them why certain things are said the way that they're said or perceived, you know, the way that they're perceived and the ignorance versus the truths, you know, after dinner, when people have, you know, had their, their heavy um, food, fish, etc., and they're relaxed, they seem to be in a space where they're open to listening and consuming and allowing their perspective to be changed. So it's done in a, in a conversation as opposed to even debating or an argument, which is excellent. Um, one of my, the uncles here in particular, you know, he was coming from a space where he has traveled overseas and he studied in Europe. And among his classmates, I believe one or two of them were african-american and when asked you know where they come from you know this african-american guy refused to align himself with being african um you know he would not accept and admit that his roots go back to the continent of africa and so 
that experience, which happened, you know, over 30, 35 years ago for the uncle that I was in conversation with, you know, it set for him um, a perspective in that African-Americans don't like Africans. And if they don't like them, then why should they like them? You know, divisiveness because of that person not wanting to identify and align themselves. And so then the question is, why would an African-American man say that he has no roots to Africa? And of course, you know, that's, that's a very long answer, a very um, layered response that we, that we could discuss forever. Um, because there's so much history, you know, um, racism, it's, it's, it's such an ugly thing that has affected the psyche of so many African Americans, right? But it's all about um, being open to understanding, to correcting um, the negative behavior, the oppressive thoughts, and opening yourself up to the idea of connection. African-Americans, I think you are at a point where if you don't identify as having roots to Africa, you're just doing yourself a disservice at the end of the day. It's literally, you're just, you're, you're crippling yourself because there's so much here. There's so much here to explore, to connect to. There's so many countries on the continent that you could take interest in and try to connect to. There are services now that will allow you to um, identify what your actual DNA strands tie you to, which country on the continent um, do you come from? I think that's how you start. And once you get the results back and you find out, you know, you've got 27% um, Benin and 32% Mali and, um, you know, 15% Nigeria and maybe 7% um, Brazil, I don't know, Spain, you can go to all four of those, you know, whatever else. Um, you could say, yeah, I'm going to take a trip to Spain, but you also... I think need to make it a priority that you find out how you are going to explore one of those three countries. You you start with Nigeria because chances are you you probably already know a Nigerian in the U.S. Um, who would love to help you connect to Nigeria, or you do your research and you find a way to explore Mali or Benin. Why are you spending your time, efforts, energy, and income to go explore a continent called Europe when most of what you are is made up from a continent called Africa? Why? So it's a lot to consume. I know that, you know, I may sound like I'm on a high horse, but um, I'm not on a high horse, I'm on a high because I am overflowing with love and knowledge and a, a, a deeper sense of appreciation for Africa. I really am. And all I can do is share it because there's so much of it in me.
So, you know, how long, you know, do you stay when you come and visit a, a country in Africa? You know, so in Tanzania, I've been here now for about a month. And um, the visa technically states that you are able to be here for 90 days. And then honestly, you need to go back to where you came from because you're not a citizen. Or, you know, you consider renewing or extending your um, stay um, or getting a, a different type of visa that's more applicable to your extended stay. You know, you have options, but ultimately um, to just come visit, um, the standard time is 90 days. The monetary gain is that your U.S. dollar is going to stretch. It's going to go far here. Um, connecting with the right people is very important because your tour guide can really truly make or break your trip. I um, am with Curious on Tanzania um, and it is a tour team that is led by um, a woman named Justa who um, is excellent. She is based between Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and New York, New York. And she has a team where various individuals in um, the different parts of Tanzania are operating t on her behalf. So if you're in Dar es Salaam, she may be with you. If you're in Bukoba, which is northern Tanzania, she'll accompany you. The game ranges that are based in Arusha, same thing. Southern Tanzania, there's a whole area there to explore. Um, we have not been to Southern Tanzania. Um, maybe on our next trip when we come back, we'll do some exploring there. But it's important to, to align yourself with the right tour guide, somebody who is definitely um, fluent in both languages, English and Swahili. Um, and someone who really understands the African-American culture um, because you want, you want to really understand what your environment is once you're here. You want to know what people are saying. You want to know body language, what it means. When you're listening to music, it's great to be able to have somebody who can interpret it correctly for you. Um, you want to know the little things when you're going to certain places, how you should dress um, so that you're comfortable and you don't feel like such a foreigner. Um, you want somebody who can protect you from going into areas where you may not be as safe or can guide you on what type of um, bag you should carry just to reduce the opportunity for any problems to arise. Um, somebody who truly knows the culture, who is a part of the culture, is who I would recommend. Not someone who has come and visited and decides that they, they know everything. That would be like if I said, because I've spent a month in Tanzania, I can now become a, a Tanzanian tour guide. I think that's foolish and um, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't recommend that you sign up with anybody who thinks that they can do that. Um, find somebody who is authentically connected to the culture.
um, but also understands your culture. So I recommend Curious on Tanzania. Uh, you can easily um, find out more about the type of trips that they curate by going to CuriousOnTanzania.com. Um, you would be in the company of, you know, folks like myself, um, other Africans from different countries who want to experience Tanzania, use Curious on Tanzania. We've met um, a variety of travelers through this experience, um, which has been amazing because you, you meet different people who have something similar to you um, and that they have a curiosity to explore Tanzania. Um, but they're coming from a different perspective of why they want to. Um, so definitely um, check that out. Um, the culture of Tanzania and the differences between them and us. I won't get into that today. Uh, you'll have to check out the Passport to Zuri podcast uh, for that because Koku and I have a lot of experiences to reflect on and it's just, ooh, you would have to listen. It's a lot. But even with um, all of the drama that's wrapped up in the culture, the true culture of Tanzania, everything that you've heard, um, it's real, it's true, it's my experience. Um, and I'm happy to share. So listening to all of that, do you still feel that you're unwelcomed? At least to Tanzania, because again, Africa is not a country, it is a continent. Because for me, I'm coming from a perspective where I, at this point, have visited um, London, where I have family. I've visited France, been to about 10 different cities in France, including Paris, for business. And now I can say I've been to about five, six different cities within Tanzania. By far, I feel more welcomed as an Mzungu in Tanzania than I do, than I felt between both London and Paris combined. So I encourage you to make Africa, make a country within Africa your priority for your next trip. And if you're African, this does not exempt you either. You don't have to only visit the country that you were born in or the country that your parents come from. Open your horizons. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. I am Gaima, and you've been listening to No Wahala, the podcast. I hope you are inspired to deepen your connection to Africa through the story shared by my guests and I, the African diasporans in Africa. Follow No Wahala on your favorite podcast streaming platform today. Comment, rate, and share. We could all learn from each other. For more, visit us at I am Gaima, 
facebook.com backslash no wahala.